Well, if you have a Bible, um, if you would turn to the first chapter of Luke, Gospel of Luke, it's page 724 in our church Bibles, page 724, Luke chapter 1, and we're actually just going to read one verse. Verse 53. Luke chapter 1, page 724 in the Church Bibles, verse 53. He, it's Mary's song here, God, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, first we would, we would like to tell you that it is probably the highest privilege to be able to watch children grow. And so we want to thank you for what has just taken place and for all the little ones who, who gave themselves to the praise of your glory. And what we need now, God, is we need you to speak with your voice which wakes the dead It makes all of us hear you as your word is preached. And thank you, God, that my weakness, which is larger than I know, will not get in the way and never has in your work here. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 53. He, God, has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. So that passage is is actually a line from a song which Mary sang. It's known as the Magnificent. That is at the heart of the message that all of the verses which were so beautifully read for us this morning were pointing to. What I want to suggest to you is that what we do with what we've heard this morning is of the greatest consequence for our life now and everything which takes place after our death, which is coming for us all. You see, all these scriptures point to a truth which, if you paid attention, it's incredibly humbling to hear. Because what they say is, on our own, we are not good enough, we are not strong enough, and we will never be able to reach God, stay with God, become God's child on our own. And we need God meaning we need help, we need a substitute, someone better than us, far better to reach down to us and do what we can't. And I know that no one wants to hear that they're not good enough for God, especially at the beginning of a sermon. That's when usually jokes come around, but that's what I'm saying. Indeed, we are so spiritually poor and we are so empty, broken, that we need someone to take our place and help us and keep helping us. Christianity has always began and remains with this great spirit of need. So think of a person who lost their job, and for the life of them, they can't find another job, and they have to rely on the generosity of others to live. But they still have to live with the fallout of that because people can be so judgmental. That's Christianity. So in light of that, because you can't say what I just said and think everyone is just immediately all in, if you're wondering, okay, why, do we, why did we read uh, the Bible so much this morning? Well, one reason is because the message we're trying to convey didn't originate with us. 
It's not our opinion. It is nothing that we focus grouped. It's from God. For the reason that we cannot define God, who he is, what he said, or what he's done, simply by our own experience, or our own minds. We can't say, well, this is, this is who God is to me, and this is what Christmas means to me, because the Bible has already spoken conclusively to both. And again, we can't even collectively pull our minds together and all our experiences together, take a vote, run the numbers, go with the majority and say, yep, that's God, and yep, that's Christmas, and yep, that's truth. I mean, even just a brief reading of history reveals how many times in time the majority has been wrong and the minority right. I mean, just think of the beginning of the civil rights movement. All of this to say we can only know truth about God when we go to the Bible, which is why we go to the Bible. And when we do, and when we are careful, we find this thread that's weaved into all of these texts of only one message about only one person, Jesus Christ, who can forgive sin and get us past death, make us right with God right now, and keeping us that way forever. So as you were listening and as you were watching the Bible read, were you tracking with the story? Time was turned on by God. God makes the world and he makes it great. Plenty of good things. Paradise. No vices, no crisis, no sickness, sin, and death. And he makes man and he makes woman totally equal. And he does a knockout job. Our first parents had it, if you would, made in the shade. Beauty, harmony, plenty. Nothing to be ticked off about. Everything was good. However, since they were created, they had a choice to make. They weren't robots. They were, they were free, autonomous creations. Their choice was believe and obey in the God who made them and put them in paradise with really only one can't from God. But they didn't believe God. Therefore, they didn't obey God. As belief and behavior, they always go hand in hand. And here we go, right? Man starts running and hiding and blaming. Running from God's presence, hiding from God's love. Adam blaming his wife for everything that happened. And in that, sin and death came into the world. Now everything is broken. Everything just keeps collapsing. We call this the curse. So we get sick. We grow old. We die. And everything about life is so much harder than it's meant to be. Toil, sweat pain, the injustice of this world everywhere, uh, relationships break all the time, uh, people get hurt really bad, and you have a humanity which makes a living of blaming others and blaming God and blaming our parents and blaming our jobs and blaming our government and blaming our churches for all the troubles, anyone but us. And you know that everything is still broken. And yeah, culture has definitely made improvements in technology, agricultural improvements, intellectual help, medicine, and living conditions definitely far better. And we should thank God for this. But just as man took paradise and ruined it, we take all those good things and we ruin them as well. So we have something as awesome as the internet with all its potential for good, and in no time we either weaponize it or we demonize it. That's what we do. We build shelters, we build bombs, we feed the world, we judge our neighbor. Now let's just pause for a second and remember our text, Mary's song. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
And as we move along here in the story, know this. The hungry, Mary sings of, are people humble enough to know that they need to ask God for everything. They know they can't do life and they can't have eternal life, anything, without God. Their hunger that they have, only God can fill. The rich, who Mary said are sent away, they oppose that. And, And don't think here in simply terms of money. It's so much more than that. But those who are full, they're so full that they don't need God the way that he's revealed. The Savior he sends. So they're filled with pride. Bellies filled with themselves. They call the shots. They have their own standards. And they never see themselves in the great need of God, which the Bible says, okay, maybe a little bit of God, but complete dependence. So they see themselves as a cut above everyone else. And they're really good at looking down at others. So they look down at Muslims and criminals and homosexuals and the poor and the uneducated and the smelly and the undesirables, people who are less moral than they are, less zealous, and so on. And you can be religious or you can be an atheist and you can be everything in between and be that. When the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the story continues. The world's in a mess. There was a flood. It was God's judgment. But that didn't make men and women right. So in the midst of the darkness, God made a promise to a man. Remember the the screen? God made a promise to Abraham. The promise, because he believes God, people will be blessed by God. This is what it said. And through his offspring, singular, through the birth of this child from his lineage, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so what kind of blessing are we talking about here? You mean like gold and money and power? You know, big living arrangements, kicking back. Life becomes really, really great. Because Mary sang a different tune. Well, let's find out. The promise he made is that into this darkness and this devilish world, light broke in. Remember Isaiah chapter 9? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born. So the promise is a child. You're like, okay, low power move, God. A child? No, this child who was promised will have infinity and divinity and humanity and intellectual capacity, which has no limit in his bloodstream. The child is God with us. So years go by, centuries go by, and God's people of the Old Testament, like all people for all time, they keep fighting God. They keep going their own way, living their own way in God's world, their bodies, if you would, in direct opposition to God. It's called sin. (laughs) To my shame, I do it every day. And one sin can, and one sin did, ruin everything. That's how dark sin is. So don't think, you know, God, do you think you kind of overreacted here? Think, God. My God, sin is that terrible, and and lying, and greed, and selfishness, and lust, it's that bad. In fact, listen to Hosea 6. This is God basically saying what we are. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Like Adam, they transgress. They deal, deal faithlessly with me. Here's the point. We did not deserve this promise to come true. No one has earned the right to this promise. Because the promise pushed forward leads to a cross. Where the promise won, Jesus Christ, 
He will hang, and listen carefully, please. He will voluntarily restrain his authority. He will voluntarily restrain his glory. He will voluntarily restrain his power. And he will voluntarily lose his human rights. He accepts hardship, ill treatment, malice, death, which involves such agony, more mental than physical, for the salvation of his who? Who? His enemies. His enemies. That's the Bible. Romans 5. While we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And the Christian has to plug themselves into that we word in Romans 5. We were God's enemies until God made us his friends through the cross. God is deliberately working for people like us who by nature despise him. Now just think that out for a minute. God is deliberately working with people like us, who by nature despise him. So can you trust a God who bleeds for you? Can you trust in a God who in Christ endures his own penalty to save his enemies? Okay, like once or twice I can be nice to my enemies, but infinitely? Some of you may know that I like musicals. One of our family favorites is, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, is Les Miserables. You know, Les Mis, as it's known. My favorite scene in the whole of, of the play. It was in Jean Valdrine. He, he steals from the bishop. Remember the silverware? And he steals it. In fact, he punches the bishop right in the mouth. I'm glad that's never happened to me. Just pops him right in the mouth. Takes the silver and runs. He gets caught by morning by the police. And remember, the police take him back to the bishop. He claimed you gave him the silverware. And this is what the bishop says. I'm very angry with you. Why didn't you take the candlesticks as well? Remember, Jean's face is like, what? He thought, thought we were enemies here. I thought you should have taken the candlesticks as well. And then the police go, and he looks him square in the eye. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You promised you'd become a new man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, it's a picture of the gospel, I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. Now I give you back to God. That's what the cross was doing. So here comes the angels. And as Christians, we believe in an open universe where God does things outside the pale to bring salvation into the world, meaning that supernatural things were not meant to give us goosebumps, but to bring us salvation. God sends an angel to Mary. Okay, why Mary? And this is important because one of the things the Christmas story tells us is God has a preference for the lowly. You cannot escape it. Mary sang it. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sends the rich away empty. God has a preference for the lowly. So our position in this world, our rank in the world, means very little to God. It might mean something to us. Not so with God. Last week when my wife and I were flying, I don't know if you've flown lately, but the ticket that we have is like, there's like five groups. There's group one, there's group two, three, four, and five. And the cheaper your ticket price, the lower the group you are. We were group five. (laughs) 
So there goes those snooty group one people, and then group, group two, and then group three, and my wife. The crowd is dwindling down, you know, and our backpacks are filled with everything we can stuff because we don't want to pay for the, the luggage thing, the fee. Group five, the walk of shame, right? <laughs> All the way to the back of the plane, hitting everybody with our backpacks, <laughs> looking at us like, well, you are the ones, right, this plane is not taking off. Christmas tells me that God goes to people without power and without appeal and without influence and, yeah, without money. So let's just be honest. Okay, I will if you will. Power and influence and appeal and money can be like a drug to us. By nature, we like how we feel with them, the security that it temporarily gives to us when we have them. But then the medicine wears off. And when we find there's never enough of those things, our mood turns sour because they don't deliver what they promised us. So a long time ago, Alexander Pope wrote in an essay on man, act well your part. There all the honor lies. So none of the trappings of power and appeal and money are on the good side of the Christmas story. The bad side, absolutely not the good side. So when you think about Mary, she acted her part. She didn't live in a palace, did she? She was not rich, but she was very poor. She was a very young woman, probably a teen. She wasn't glamorous. She didn't have nice things. She was from the low street. So about a year and a half ago, I met a lady on the internet. Her name was Kate Edmondson. I met her through a friend. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. And one of her songs is entitled, A Voice. And the song is in response to how difficult it can be to be a young woman in these days growing up in the world that we have. And frankly, women in general. The first time I heard the song, I'm not lying, it brought me to tears. Listen to what she says. Numbers and photographs. Do not a person make. You understand numbers and likes and the picture and you get the likes. We understand that. Numbers and photographs. Do not a person make. I'm more than what they can say of me. My identity is not in my history. She goes on. Color and shape, I don't wait. I'm more than what a mirror sees of me. I'm not the model type. Most clothes won't fit me right. Maybe I don't fit in with anything. But if I had a voice, I would sing. And I'd be satisfied. My voice would rise above and carry me. What freedom it would bring if I could sing. And Mary does sing, doesn't she? The whole of the Magnificent is one beautiful song. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, which was read to us, the German translation of, of that, read in English, reads like this. The, Mary, the angel comes, Oh, Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace to. So you ask yourself the question, why Mary? Here's the answer. Grace. God's grace. And grace means we can't earn what we need. So she didn't earn this birth. She was a virgin. She's never known that kind of love. But by grace, she will give birth to the Son of God, Jesus the Savior of the world. And by grace, what makes Mary so unique is that she believes God's word. Like Abraham did, but like Adam and Eve did not. She believes the promise. She believes the messenger, the angel. The question, do I believe it? And do you believe it? 
The very name Jesus is Savior, for he will save his people from their sins, which means, yeah, we are sinners, and yeah, we can't save ourselves, and yeah, salvation is needed. It has to be received because no one can achieve it. Every other religion in the world sets you on a path to find God. Christianity is God finds you. He comes down. He breaks in. He sets himself towards your life. So if you're here this morning, we don't think it's by accident. We're happy that you're here because we believe with all our hearts that God brought you here. So picture yourself like this. You're a baby in a room, and the room is on fire. You can't do anything except cry. And then the mighty hand of God breaks through the ceiling and pulls you out from the flame. The needy, thank you, God. Thank you for the help. The rich, the self-sufficient, no thank you, God. I can do this blinded by their own strength. Finally, the magi come. Some of the brightest minds in the world take notice of this child and they worship. They worship by then a two-year-old Jesus Christ, which, which is striking if you even think about that. That's unusual. They bring gifts. One of the gifts is myrrh, symbolic of the death of Jesus Christ, which is coming. He has filled the hungry with good things. This is a gospel verse. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. That's the gospel. Because all of these texts read, and the one I read for you, point to the fact that we really are not good enough. And we need grace. Undeserved, free grace, which, what? It insults our pride. Because it tells me that I'm a spiritual failure, apart from Jesus Christ. So the only way that I can gain salvation, which I need and enjoy freedom and grow, is it has to be foundationally and ultimately a gift from God. And of course, if you're thinking, that offends moral people and religious people who think their politeness and their super awesome spirituality give them advantage over the rest of us who are less moral and less spiritually awakened. And the gospel can be insulting by telling us Jesus died for us because our rebellion at every age is, not just was, is, is real and it's raunchy. It's an ugly word, isn't it? Raunchy. But that's sin. And only the death of God's Son could save us. So it puts us in the same boat as, I don't know, drug dealers, murderers, thieves, prostitutes, and yeah, even, even pastors. And of course, that offends the modern world, where we have self-expression and people condemning and the popular belief that, you know what, people aren't that bad. Or at least certain segments of people aren't that bad. And you know how that works. It works in a small group. It works in the world. If your group is the in-group for now, you can trash the other group when Christianity gives us no such liberty ever. So the gospel tells me by trying to be good and trying to be spiritual, that's not going to be enough. And that insults me. And that offends me because it tells me that no good person can be saved but only bad people, people honest about their badness who come to God and listen carefully, who come to God and say, you know, I am really, really hungry. And I've been hungry for a long, long time. And, and I can't feed myself full. Can you help me? I've tried everything. Can you help me? So you mean like people who are spiritually poor, like blessed are the poor in spirit? Yeah, that's who I mean. Because God has always filled the hungry with good things. And he has always sent the rich away empty. 
So if you're here and, and you're like, listen, I appreciate all this. This was all beautiful, but I have my own way with God, my own way to God. Will you please just listen carefully? Your own way has never been tried and tested in the public square. It's never been put through the paces like Christianity has of intellectual, historical, theological, scientific examination. You've never had to put your life on the line for your way, which Christians have had to since they began to say the things that I've told you this morning. If that's you, then come on, right? Something's got to give. Something's got to give. And if you would know then real life now and life past death, Jesus Christ is the only way. Let me close with this. New York Times obituary section, December 3rd. I read of a lady. Her name was Josie Rubio. She was diagnosed terminally ill at 40 years old. It's a couple of years later. She was single still. August 24th article, New York Times, this is what she wrote, dating while dying. My tagline for the dating app I'm on says, I have cancer, so if you want to hang out, act now. <laughs> right, right, her needs as a, as a woman didn't end with a cancer diagnosis. It never does. She continues, I don't want to leave the cats. I don't want to leave my boyfriend. I don't want to leave my mom. I don't want to leave my friends. I've had a good life. I can't comprehend that it's going to stop so soon. How did this happen? We know the answer, don't we? Her very last post was December 5th. She died December 4th. A friend had to post it. This is what she said. People assume I'm a little bit more spiritual than I am. And so you might be surprised to hear that I don't really have a belief in something specific that happens when you die. I think that might just be it, the end. It would be comforting as the end nears to believe in something more concrete. St. Peter at the gate with an assigned cloud number, a reincarnation plan, a transfer into white light and energy. But I really don't know. Someone said that whatever you believe happens. So I'm a little worried because I don't believe in anything. Do you believe? And are you hungry? The short story of the Bible is God made everything right. Man broke it. God sent his son to fix it. God sent his son to buy our freedom by dying on a cross so that he could make us his kids and we can live with him now and forever. If, this is a, if you're a Christian, this is what is true about you. You've been saved by God's grace. One day you're going to die. And you will wake up in the arms of Jesus Christ. And nothing can stop that. If that's not you, at least right now, that's not true. But there's good news. Great joy. Christ was born. Christ died. Christ raised. Christ is in heaven. And Christ will return. Hungry or full, poor 
or rich. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father, may, may the truth of the gospel spread like a wildfire this Christmas season and into the new year and into our homes and into our lives and into your churches and our community. For Jesus' sake, amen.